Hello everybody and welcome to another interview with me, Richard Carter, Data Scientist at the Data Lab in Scotland. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by Marios Mihalidis. He's a competitive data scientist currently employed by H2O.ai. Marios is one of the stars of the data science world because recently he was number one in Kaggle competitions and what we'd like to do today is speak to Marios about some of the tools, tricks, techniques that he used to get to the top of the pile of almost, I believe, a half a million Kaggle competitors. But before we do that, Marius, welcome to the interview. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. I'd really love to know how you got into the world of data science and, and really where your journey began. So, uh, I came from Greece and I came to the UK in order to study, specifically to the University of Southampton. Uh, my background was economics and I came here to do risk management and you know at the end of, of the year I was finished as I was finishing my studies I was trying to find out what to do next and um, I, there are these entrepreneurship type of talks where the university organizes where different industry professionals come and talk to you about like ideas and what to do next and what they did and they were successful and there was this person his name escapes me right now that uh, he explained how he finished the same uh, course with us but uh, after he finished he just started going to the horse races like for two years and, uh, but he wasn't playing uh, he was just collecting data like all sorts of data like what are the weather condition who won the last race which race won the last race uh, where do people bet the most? V various attributes. He was collecting various attributes. And then he was able to build a, a machine learning model, uh, back then a logistic regression model, with these attributes in order to predict the winner. And he was able to get more than 50% accuracy. Was he making money? Uh, this is what he said. Uh -huh. that he, he made a, quite a good amount of money and then he also sold the algorithms to make even more. And uh, yeah, then wrote a book, I think, about it. And uh, yeah... Uh, and that was a, a successful business case and I thought it was really impressive like when I heard about it it seemed like a superpower that to predict the future I was also amazed how he created value out of nothing basically mm. like he, he just started going there collecting data and then he made you know all this uh, sort of uh, this all this model out of that and um, yeah I think this is what really uh, got me into it so then I said mm, that sounds good I want to know more so I started learning more about it learning the tools then learn the programming language starting implementing my own thing yeah so I was going to ask about that because presumably when you're doing a degree course like economics and risk management you, you're not necessarily going to be doing an awful lot of computer programming in that are you? almost nothing mm. so I had zero I mean probably the most programming I, I had like done was some functions in Excel. Mm -hmm. Then I think I did very little in high school, like uh, some very basic uh, stuff. So no, I didn't have programming background. And, and I, I struggled a bit in the beginning. So I remember I started learning a bit of C and I bought an online book. And uh, when I reached the point, it, it was explaining pointers. I felt, no, no way, this is not for me, I'm not smart enough for this. But then I, uh, yeah, I switched to easier languages and there I was able to, to produce some results yes. like Java and Python. Uh, so yeah, this is what really got me into it. I mean, uh, then I, I created a software actually for, for predictive analytics called Casanova. Uh -huh. 
Uh, it's it's online. You can download it. It's free. Um, That's Java based. It's it? Java based. It's a GUI with focus on credit scoring because my first jobs were in this area. And so I had interest in this field. But uh, yeah, later I wanted to challenge myself more. I felt that uh, I've done quite some stuff myself. I mean, it was never really myself. I've learned most of the things online or from people sharing. But then I felt that, uh, uh, you know, okay, I've done all this work. How does this compare to the outside world? Like, what's, what's, what are the best practices? So I've heard about Kaggle. I decided to give it a shot. And so you weren't tempted to try your hand at uh, gambling and uh, no, recreating any of these horse riding models that you'd seen a few? No, but I actually started a bit with stock market. So that was the internal sort of project I immediately started working on. Uh, with some with some some success, not 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 big success, but it was a great playground for me. I mean, because I think you need to have this kind of uh, a, a goal. I mean, just machine learning for the sake of machine learning or predictive modeling. Um, sometimes you need that extra goal in order to do it. So I had this. Let's assume I have a portfolio of stocks. Uh, let's see if I can use predictive modeling to improve that. So this this was my playground basically. Uh, I've seen quite a few people actually who've used bitcoins and cryptocurrencies to the same effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how successful they are. I mean, it's been basically just going up. <laughs> <laughs> Buy and hold strategy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, so you looked at Kaggle. Can you remember what the first competition was that you went yeah, to? Yeah, actually, there was one from Amazon. It was hosted by Amazon. Uh, not about the topic you would expect. It was more like if I have some attributes about uh, what is the role of an employee, um, which department he or she is working, uh, can I predict whether he or she will get uh, special accesses, like administration accesses, if, if, they, require, if they request a specific resource? Um, obviously, they wanted to automate this, this process and takes a lot of time, I think, to, to get something approved. Uh, it was actually a competition that had only 10 variables, but uh, they had very high cardinality. So they were categorical, but they had like 10,000 distinct categories. Mm -hmm. So uh, traditional modeling, the way I had learning, was not working. Mm -hmm. I mean, with 10,000 categorical attributes back then, I didn't know of more optimal ways to store the data. For example, we have something called a sparse matrix where we tend to, when we, we tend to, to compress the memory a lot when we, we run this, these models with very, very high cardinality, lots of categories. And uh, I've learned a lot of things. I've learned that a lot of the things that I knew up to this point, I couldn't uh, apply it easily. The good thing is that there is so much sharing in, on the forums and people are so willing to help um, that uh, you immediately pick it up, you sure. know, you improve. So I take it that the, f the first competition you entered, you wouldn't have been uh, towards the top of the leaderboard? I, I finished actually top 10% oh, very good. in the first, but I wouldn't have finished there if it wasn't for all the sharing like on the forum. So definitely what I knew up to this point was not enough to get me to top 10%. 
but with a lot of help like on the forum, uh, reading, uh, picking up also improving my skills in Python, I think was important. And this is why I would also like to encourage people to try this because the learning has been great. It's not uh, excessive to say that uh, Kaggle is probably one of the best online um, communities uh, I've ever seen in any subject. I mean, there is so much sharing, people are so willing to help. I don't know why, maybe because there are a lot of researchers, maybe because people get a lot of recognition when they share their work. I don't know why, but you have any, any question, you go there and you get your answer, a lot of help. Yeah. It's great to hear, and, and particularly in the context that Kaggle itself clearly is competitive. Yes. Uh, there is actually this community and this kind a lot. Of sharing. There of is ideas. a lot of respect. There is, a, and you know, and at the end of the competition, there is this. It has become a thing now that you know you have to share your approach. Although, yeah. although you don't have to, you don't have to, but people do it. People do. And yeah. so after that first uh, foray into Kaggle, you clearly got bitten by the bug, and I guess wanted to improve. And, and it's interesting to me that you describe yourself as a competitive data scientist. So maybe you could tell me what competitive means and, and, when, yes. and when you moved from being a data scientist to a competitive data scientist. All right, so I guess my previous roles before working with H2O was more like traditional uh, data science. Uh, the, the element of competitive comes from, first of all, what the company does. And the company builds, uh, generally focuses on building software for predictive analytics. They have an open source uh, tool, but I'm mostly working in, in another product called driverless AI that basically automates the machine learning process, like end-to-end, -end, from the point you put the data to getting uh, a very optimized uh, outputs of, uh, of predictions and the, the competitive means that I need to make certain when I contribute to the software that um, I add very predictive uh, have very very predictive elements so uh, and therefore I need to actually compete in Kaggle I need to be able to see what's out there I need to make certain that whatever we build is is competitive as measured by let's say competition mm -hmm. you know where thousands of participants will try to solve a specific problem how do we fare mm -hmm. against this community that you know they will really push the boundaries to to the limits so this is what competitive means here I need to be in uh, I need to have a good connection with the, with the competitive world to make certain that what we build is competitive. And, 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 and so the workflow that under, underpins all this, I mean, that presumably you have uh, created, adapted and evolved over the time that you've been um, active on Kaggle over, over the last five years. I wonder if there's any insights you can share with us about this kind of workflow that underpins this method. Yes, I mean, uh, and you know, a lot of the work that uh, I do now is actually quite automated. Um, and my workflow basically consists of this. First day, I, I get the data sets, I try to understand the problem a bit. Uh, you know, do a few plots, see the distribution of the variables, um, do some consistency checks, see, do the training data look like the test data, do I see big differences? 
Um, so I try to understand what I will be tested on, what is the metric I will be tested on. Sometimes this is important. There are different algorithms that focus on different uh, problems. And um, yeah, I mean, once I pass through this first filter, this scrutinization step, uh, what I will do is um, I will kick in an automated procedure that basically takes the data, creates different views, sort of, um, you know, for example, all categorical variables in one specific, let's say, modeling attempt will be converted in a specific way. For example, I will, I will make what we call dummy variables. And I will run through an algorithm, try to optimize hyperparameters, and then get predictions and save these predictions. Then I will repeat the same process, but from, for a different algorithm, different parameters. And then I will create another view. For example, I will try to explore interactions with the data. Again, pick different algorithms. Uh, I'll do this repeatedly. So trying to actually exhaust all information that there is within the data, sometimes without putting huge thought into it. That's why I say that this can be automated. And, and then after having saved all these results or these predictions, I add one more layer, which I call it assembling, mm -hmm. where you, I try to find what is now actually useful. So I have produced all these things and I even produce things which I don't, which I think they have a low chance to be good, but you never know. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, I tend to, to, to create a large pool of, of different predictions and models and in the end I try to find the best way to combine them. So how much of this process, clearly it's a scientific process, but I'm just curious to know how much do you find you input from a maybe like a creative artistic sense that it's it's something that is a sixth sense within you that actually I'm not quite sure about this feature but I think I should put it in anyway. Yeah, I, I think this this comes naturally and actually that is the reason that I really like the automated procedure because when you kick in the automated procedure you have enough time to go look the data and come up with ideas which are creative. And I think I gave previously a, an example of what this kind of creativity may mean. For example, there was a competition about an insurance company where you had to predict which policy a, a customer will pick. But, you know, looking at the data, you could see that on 99% of the cases, people were renewing the one they already had. So uh, it, it was actually more viable to build a model that predicts renewal. Will you renew? Yes or no? And then having a second model that will try to say, given that you're not going to renew, what are you going to pick? So isolating the pro, breaking down into these two elements would help getting better results. So that's why I think the creative element is, is viable. I mean, you still put it, put it there. Um, and it works really well with an automated procedure because exactly gives you this time to, to, to dive uh, deeper and uh, um, explore more ideas which are not uh, sometimes not so not, not so clear you know? do, you, do you ever get surprised by the outputs um, you know if these if these outputs are coming to you in an automated way do you sometimes see results that just don't make intuitive sense to you and uh, really counterintuitive um, I, I do I mean I uh, I have I have definitely seen this but uh, it's I have seen also the opposite like stuff that I think that, you know, make great sense. Still, a model being able to pick up this information without you requiring to, uh, 
uh, just to give you an idea, you might have um, um, how much distance you have covered in certain uh, seconds. From this, you can derive the speed. But actually, you deriving the speed doesn't help as a feature makes things worse. Okay. So yeah, the model is able to to pick this up like better. So yeah, I, I've seen I've seen both of these both of these things. Uh, to the point that I don't question it that much. I'm more focused in making certain I create a reliable internal validation framework that best resembles what I'm being tested on. And what I mean, I have some data, my training data is in a X period, my test data is three months in the future. The way I will construct my internal validation will have exactly the same format. So I will have some past data and I will keep three months in the future for validation. This is important because when I, I tune my algorithms, when I create some features, uh, I can see through this whether they will yield uplift. And because I know I have, contract, I have constructed this similarly to the test environment, uh, it will be generalizable. Or Another example, if in my test data I have completely different customers than in my training data, again, I need to construct my internal validation strategy to replicate this. So would you say that this is the kind of key component that maybe differentiates people like yourselves and the people who are constantly uh, in, in the top echelons of competitions and maybe other people? Is that is, is the it, one sort of specific thing that you think maybe is, is where this real competitive edge comes from? Yes, I think experienced people, they, they know they have to spend a lot of time. Uh, we actually spend the first few days, I think, in every competition trying to set up this right. And we try different things here. We will try, like, let's say, a normal random split of our data and we'll see how that scores. If we don't see like good results, we start questioning like, what's going on. Like, we don't get good results. That probably means that the training data is actually different than the test data in a significant way. And you try to find that difference and model it. Mm -hmm. Try to say, I need to make my validation as similar to the test as, as possible, because this is what I'm being tested on. And you mentioned the community elements of Kaggle. I wonder when you're in these competitions, do you also merge teams towards the end? Yeah, I have merged in, I think, in more than 50% or around 50% of, of, of the cases. So it is definitely important to do this. I actually believe that the science is a team sport. Um, and for various reasons, uh, an obvious one is that you can cover more ground, right? I mean, one person would say, look, I'll focus on deep learning, you can focus in tuning random forests or gradient boosting machines, all I will focus on this type of feature engineering. The other is that every person has a unique way of seizing the data, so it will, they will seize the data from different angles, and the end result is that collectively we uncover more information. So through merging the approaches, in most cases, we can achieve better results. I've seen that in almost all situations. Like, yeah. You will see that in top 10, most of the times you have teams, mm -hmm. like in competitions, yeah. One, th one thing I picked up from uh, another interview I saw you'd done uh, was that at one point you were spending 60 hours a week yeah, yeah. on Kaggle competitions yeah. outside of the other things you were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. How, how on earth do you uh, find an extra 60 hours in a week? <laughs> Well, I had to. I had no choice because I'll tell you why. Because at some point, uh, I was able to get 
uh, I won a few competitions which they were exactly in what I was doing in, in my subject. Um, and I, w- I got placed quite high in the rankings and then it became an obsession. Then I said, since I've reached this far, I need to finish that journey. Otherwise it will always stink. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, that, that last stretch, it was actually extremely difficult. Like as much time as it took to get there, it took that much more <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get to the top position. And, and that's why I had to put that many hours. I had no choice. This is, other people are, are more talented, so they could do it faster. I, I felt I had to spend this amount of time in order to, uh, to clinch that, that first spot. I'm pretty sure it'd be the same of anybody who's reached number one in any competitive uh, endeavour though that it's actually hard work really trumps mm-hmm. talent at the end of the day. I mean, yes, you need the talent, but it's really the hard work that's going to push you right to the top. I, I agree. The hours you put in are really fundamental. Excellent. Yeah, and how you optimise them. Yeah. Uh, so you, so I don't know if we mentioned, but you did a PhD at uh, UCL, which was around and ensembling, mm-hmm, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, so now you're uh, employed by H2O. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who may be not familiar with, with H2O, would you maybe like to describe what it is and how it can be used? Yes. So I think uh, H2O is, is a company that uh, creates software solutions for predictive analytics. And um, they have uh, various products. One, which is uh, extremely well known, is, is the open source part, where I would say it looks a lot like sklearn, if you know it, like, like from Python. It's, it's a very comprehensive uh, library uh, that has various machine learning algorithms, anything you can think of, deep learning, random forests, gradient boosting, linear models, and a lot of pre-processing steps are including there too. And um, I really, I find it, uh, and how I got to know it, so I actually found it on Kaggle. So in order to do well in Kaggle, you need to know all the tools and also you need diversity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like the H2O models because they were exactly bringing this diversity to my modeling solutions. So I had a very big appreciation for the software. And um, yeah, any chance I got to sort of like advertise it or give my appreciation, I did so. And this is how I actually got to learn the, the company through through the open source software, which I really liked. Uh, I would say it's it's... Uh, you can get the most out of it in in very multi-cluster environments mm-hmm. like uh, you know like uh, uh, with Hadoop this is where you can see like uh, huge scalability and uh, impressive performance in terms of speed uh, but you can use it locally to, to do your uh, as a data scientist to do your own uh, you know in, in interday uh, uh, tasks. Uh, the other element which I'm personally uh, more involved is what we call driverless AI, which is basically an AI that creates an AI. Science a bit meta, but this is what it is. It's an artificial intelligence software that generates machine learning models. And um, I, I work there is to build a software that automates the machine learning process from the point you import a data set to um, getting out inside predictions, model interpretability, and um, even, all, even all the feature engineering that was used and all the pre-processing in order to create these models. Uh, which is a very, it's a very exciting work, it's a very innovative work, has received various awards this year, and it's exciting to be, uh, to be part of it. 
Is this an area which is active in the academic community? Um, I mean, the automated uh, machine learning part, in a way it is, because even all this uh, work in ensemble modeling, for example, um, it is based a lot on this fact, like how, what is the like the best way to, to combine automatically many models in order to get the best result. But uh, also other organizations started doing similar things uh, uh, at the moment, like, like Google. Um, but I would still say it's a, it's a generally new area. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fairly new area. Um, not sure how possible people thought it was a few years back, but now it feels it, it, feels it is very possible, can get very good results. Cool. So I'm also obviously uh, interested to know of things that are coming online. So this is an area that I need to pay some attention to, and we'll look at and see how it how it develops over the next few years. Yeah, definitely, I, I, and me too. You know, it's it's happy to be part, and I'm also excited. You know, sometimes we create stuff that even I didn't believe they were possible. <laughs> you know, like by doing it, you say mm, that actually, you know, it's working. It's working well. Well, I'm sure, you know, in your journey, which has been five years, obviously, you must have uh, seen an awful lot of change within uh, the machine learning community. And, yes. Uh, we can only imagine what's going to happen uh, over the next five years. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it has been, yeah, it has been crazy in a way. It's, uh, um, and, you know, I've seen it in Kaggle too, like, you know, the, how the techniques, like, change over time. I remember when I first started, um, these uh, gradient boosting type of models or so random forests, uh, they were like winning every competition. But uh, like suddenly after some point, after two years, uh, deep learning made an appearance. And you know, you can hear it everywhere. And the good thing is that in, in, if, you, if you participate in an area like Kaggle, you probably get to see this first. Because you know, the, lots of the people are researchers and uh, they're very keen to win. So if something new comes, they will definitely try it. So exactly, this is one of the great reasons you, you sort of need to be part of it. And uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of parallels. I've seen, I've seen the usage, the advent in usage of GPU. Like I remember when I first, we first started doing Kaggle, no one was using uh, like uh, GPUs for machine learning. Now it's a must. Yes. Um, uh, even you know, like no one's was using like, for example, big servers to to um, uh, to sort of uh, do their models. Now you know you can make an account with uh, Amazon Web Services, and you know you can run your models yeah. and get and get good results. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the change in, in in cost of computing and storage has really changed things, changed uh, how much uh, more complicated models we do we do now, and helps and help to break some boundaries. Well, yes, you've, it sounds absolutely fascinating. I mean, you're on an incredibly successful journey, and I'll certainly watch the 
the next few years of your career with interest and uh, and interested to see how platforms like H2O are adopted by the community and uh, and also Kaggle as well. You've empowered me to go back to look at Kaggle. I haven't looked at uh, competition for quite a while, but uh, I feel like I ought to now given the, the pep talk that you give me. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Marios, we're out of time. It's been great to chat to you. Um, this has been Marios Michalithis, mm-hmm. uh, competitive data scientist <laughs> employed by H2O. Uh, thanks very much for joining me. Cheers. Thank you very much for inviting me. To find out more about data science in Scotland, please visit the Data Lab's website at www.thedatalab.com.